Welcome to Your Food Looks Funny. I am Marcus T, and today's topic is following the recipe for success. I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. Today I'm going to get into a topic that was brought up by one of one of the people in my group for Your Food Looks Funny on Facebook. So it was actually my cousin. My cousin said, do you have more success following a recipe or winging it? Today is going to be more of a talk on the recipe side. I'll do another episode fully dedicated to when I just use more improvisation in the kitchen. Right now, we're just going to do strictly recipes, rules for reading recipes. And I also have a funny story about a recipe that didn't go quite the way we wanted uh, later. So I'm going to start off with a little reference to Alton Brown. So Alton Brown is a guy who's on Food Network, and he writes a lot of good articles and a lot of good insight based off of uh, just different food topics. So I reference him every now and then. And when I was searching for how to read a recipe to kind of put it in great wording, his was the first thing to come up. So at AltonBrown.com, and I'll put this link on my website Um, underneath the actual episode post but on his website he has a good article on how to read a recipe and the first rule that he gave was read it and I mean read it as in sit down read through the entire recipe before you do anything and then after that your next step read it again and I fully endorse this and and I'm going to tell you why reading the recipe all the way through will ultimately troubleshoot anything that you could uh, run into at the end that you weren't prepared for. So once you've read all the way through, and I know a lot of people will go against this whole philosophy, and I'm one of those people when I first started cooking. So I would like to read right at the beginning and then immediately start with the first step or the first ingredient and then realize later that I was either missing an ingredient Or I missed some point of the process because I didn't read fully through and what the whole process was going to entail. So again, read it and then read it all the way through again. In culinary, we have this saying called mise en place and is French for put it in place or everything in its place. So you want everything to be in its place before you get started. That means collect all your ingredients, collect all your dry in one place, collect all your refrigerated and frozen ingredients, and you can put them in the same place in the freezer or refrigerator. And then you can create your grocery list based off of already having your mise en place set up. That way, you know, well, I'm missing something or I'm not missing something. And then you can go get those things based off what you've already done inventory on according to the recipe. Nothing is worse than starting to cook something according to a recipe that you just looked up and realize that you don't have everything you needed to cook. So that's just going to make the cooking process incredibly long. And this whole show is dedicated to making your picky decisions worth it and making sure that you have all the knowledge you need in order to cook a meal and cook it efficiently. So I'm all about cooking efficiently making sure that you're in and out of the kitchen as fast as possible unless you want to spend extra time in there but that's up to your own personal discretion 
Myself, I like to get in and out as fast as possible without wasting a lot of time. Sometimes you can sit back and marvel at your own uh, creations, but you know, again, that's on you. What we are talking about here is mise en place, making sure everything is in its place, making sure you've read all the way through the recipe and that you have something in place that you're going to cook and be proud of later. Dealing with beads and plies and making sure that you have everything and everything is in the right place. I'm going to separate these into two different categories. So mise en place for cooking and mise en place baking. So when you cook something, there's often a lot of room for changes. There's often a lot of room for improvisation, correction. If you add too much salt or too little salt, sometimes you can correct those things later. And you want to account for that. So you want to account for something that you made is going to change. I'm going to get into that a little bit later as to why you can uh, you can change in cooking, but you can't change as much in baking. So if you cooked a little bit, you obviously know that you can cook, you can change things. A recipe is not going to turn out exactly like the author made it versus when you make it. But when you bake there's usually not a lot of room for alterations after something has already gone in the oven. Once something has been mixed and goes into the oven, it's pretty much a wrap. It's pretty much a wrap. You're not adding salt. You're not adding sugar. It's not going to come out the exact same way as it was supposed to because baking is a science. science. Baking science. is a science experiment that can go terribly wrong if you miss one thing. If you miss the leavening agent, like baking soda, baking powder or something, you will have flat cakes, whatever you decided that you were going to make that needed a leavening agent. If you forgot it, you go ahead and uh, wrap that one up. You, It might still be edible, but it's not going to be the same texture and consistency that it was made to be when you originally made it. When you cook, oh, the possibilities are endless. If you forgot to add salt, add a little bit at the end. It might not have the depth of flavor later that you wanted, but it'll still have the flavors that you were looking for when you originally started this here recipe. Uh, another thing that Alton said in his, his article was make sure you're following the order of operations for the actual ingredients. So ingredients on a recipe are normally listed top to bottom being largest quantity to smallest quantity. So if you look at the top of your recipe is normally the largest ingredient that has to go in depending on what order it has to go into the actual uh, dish that you're making. Along with making that recipe and using the largest ingredients at the top and the smaller ingredients at the bottom, you want to pay attention to what the order is based off the uh, texture or viscosity or whatever. He put a great example in there of uh, if you need a tablespoon of oil in a recipe and a tablespoon of honey, normally the oil will be listed first simply because it's easier to it's easier to pour out the oil from the tablespoon than it is the honey. After you've measured out the oil, you can use the same tablespoon for the honey because there won't be a lot of residual oil left in there. So keep that in mind also when you're reading down your recipes of if something has to be put into your dish and you need the same amount of something else, measure out the ingredient that's easier to clean out that same vessel first. So if you have to do a cup of sugar and then a cup of peanut butter do the sugar first because it's going to empty out of that cup much faster and much easier and easier to clean than the peanut butter is just keeping that in mind as well 
So again, cooking versus baking is where we were. Cooking, you can improv and change and make sure that flavors come together even after you've already passed that step in the recipe. Corrections can be made. With baking, you don't have that time for correction, which is kind of why I love to bake. It's more of an exact science. And things tend to come together better when you follow a recipe of a baked item versus when you follow a recipe of somebody who cooked something. Because chances are they might have changed something in the process of cooking and they forgot to note it. A lot more people that write recipes don't measure as uh, accurately when cooking as they do when baking. So also keep that in mind. And that will lead me to my next point well next two points here so the author's equipment and environment are different from your equipment and your environment and by that i mean this the author may have a different stove they may have different utensils you know different mixers you might have had to mix by hand they use a stand mixer keep these things in mind when you're following their recipes and i'll do another episode which will probably be the episode after this one on kitchen equipment and essential things that will help you minimize the risk of messing up a recipe that you're following but the author's equipment like i said and environment are different so always account for there are going to be variables that can mess up your dish that didn't mess up the author's uh, dish even though you did the same exact thing that he said or she said uh, written down in that recipe And that leads me to my second point. Try not to vary at first from the original recipe that you're reading or referencing to make your item that you're making. So by that, I mean, if the recipe says something specific and you think that uh, if I add a little bit more salt or, you know, a little bit more butter or something, it'll taste better. Remember, you've never made this before. So if we're saying going by the first time. You've never made this before. Don't try to alter it before you've tasted what the original version tastes like. So you want to make sure that at first you try it the way it is. And I know some people might be saying, well, I I don't want to taste it like that. Or I like adding a lot more, you know, butter and stuff to mine. Like just 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 calm down here. Calm down. Calm down. Another part of this is you want to find an author. And when I keep saying author, that just means the person that wrote the recipe, even if it's a family member or you find it online, you want to find somebody who has similar taste to you already. So, again, you want to make sure that you find somebody who has a similar style of cooking or a similar taste profile that you have in order to minimize the risk of you having to alter something in the first place. It's, it's just like um, my chef used to tell me at work, if you alter something that I made, so better yet, I have, I have an example of this. So here we go. when we come up with new recipes for our menu, people will make it the first week just like the chef taught us. So we'll have a new recipe on there and people will make it just like the recipe says, just like the recipe says just like the recipe says, and yes, I'm repeating this on purpose, until they get to that one customer at night that says, oh, y'all added too much salt into this. And again, you've probably served this dish maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50 times before, and then suddenly one guest says, 
well, I didn't, you know, I didn't like that. It had too much salt or something that that's okay. That's their personal preference. Again, everybody has their own preference of what they like. That's the whole point of the show. People can be particular with what they like. It doesn't make them bad people just because they're picky about certain things. They've grown up to like certain things. If you go back to episode uh, three, like I said, trying new food or not trying new food. If you go back to episode three on your family's food isn't as good as you think it is. A lot of people have preferences on the food that they grew up on, what their mom made. The environment that they grew up in is going to heavily weigh in on what they like and what they don't like. So when you go to a restaurant, something that 20 people like doesn't mean the 21st person is also going to like it. So you have to account for that when uh, when cooking certain dishes. So again, find somebody who has similar taste to you. That way you can minimize the risk of you not liking the dish. You don't want to change it at first because the next time that you get ready to make it, you won't know if you messed up or the author messed up. Get it? If you vary, if you change a dish the first time you make it according to the recipe and you don't like it, whose fault is it? Is it your fault? Or is it the person that wrote the recipe's fault? It's no longer their dish anymore because you changed it. So in my opinion, it is your or the person who made it and changed it's fault. Make it the way it was written. Then you can change it later. Minimize the risk by choosing an author or a, uh, a person you know who has similar taste to you in order to minimize the risk of making sure that it's not good. It's that simple. I'll give you an example of that. When I bake, I reference the same website because I ran into an item on her website that I really like. And therefore, a lot of the things that I bake, I will reference her website in order to make sure that they are along the same lines that I want them to be before I have to change anything in the first place. The rest, I mean, um, the website is called mybakingaddiction.com. If anybody wants to check on that, I'll probably also put that one in uh in the post on my website so if you go there and check that out you can find her she has some great stuff on there as far as baked goods and a full recipe index to reference on there i'll probably also list some of my favorites so if i don't somebody please remind me somewhere on social media okay so today we went on some of the steps to reference on uh, when following a recipe in order to make it a little bit easier on yourself in order to do it again I will do another episode later on improvisation in the kitchen and making up your own items and how my process works in the kitchen of creativity other than just following a recipe because sometimes following a recipe just gets boring just gets boring and I'll do another episode on kitchen equipment to help you eliminate some of those variables from the author to yourself and how you cook it in your own kitchen trying not to vary at first in those recipes making sure that you just follow the recipe the first time so that you know that the author is the one that messed up always put the blame on the author never on yourself if it doesn't taste good i did not make it and i will put the reference to alton brown's how to read a recipe in the description on my website as well and last thing i have is the story to tell you about a recipe gone wrong so check this out i was back in culinary school right and it was in meats class. So we had saved up all this great uh, scraps of meat from breaking down, you know, uh, I think pork legs and, you know, lamb shanks and all kinds of stuff. And we were going to make chili. 
So we made chili and it was going to be chili and cornbread day. Oh my God. Chili and cornbread day is fantastic. And again, I was in culinary school. So this is the only time I'm eating well. I'm eating well and being well fed in school. But after school and on the weekends, it was a struggle, struggle to find a good meal because I did not feel like cooking after cooking for three hours a day, every day throughout the week. So keep that in mind. So chili and cornbread day was a day we had looked forward to the entire semester. And uh, he so chef puts everybody in charge of making a different ingredient or uh, preparing a different ingredient and making sure that they were all set up. So the guy that they put in charge of making the cornbread, he was one of the one of the questionable people in his class. I don't remember his name. I just remember his face and the face of terror that he had at the end of this. So underneath our tables, we have these huge buckets, these huge five gallon buckets that hold some of our dry ingredients. Under this one unique table, we had a bucket for salt, a bucket for sugar. So if you're kind of keeping track of what I'm talking about, you can see where this is about to go wrong. So the guy, well, chef gave him the responsibility to make the cornbread. So later we're presenting. Chef has to give first taste and critique on it. So he tastes the chili. Chili's great. You know, I don't remember what part of it I did. I just know I didn't do the cornbread. Anywho, chef gets to the cornbread, takes a nice slice, takes a bite out of it, makes a, you know, satisfied face for all of two seconds. And then suddenly his mouth shrivels into a ball. He said, who made the cornbread? And we all looked at this one person. And then we all gave the cornbread a taste ourselves because chef didn't want to exactly explain what happened. So we all tasted it ourselves and realized that our mouths had instantly turned into Sahara Desert based off the level of salt that had been put into it. To wrap this story up, the guy mixed the buckets of sugar and salt up. And instead of adding two cups of sugar into our cornbread mix, he added two cups of salt chili and cornbread day was ruined and i don't think my mouth has been able to hydrate the same since so thank you guys for listening to this episode again we'll do a follow-up episode on improvisation in the kitchen in order to do the back end of this recipe versus improv in the kitchen story also i'll do an episode on kitchen equipment that'll be coming soon uh, in order to help alleviate some of the differences in recipes that are made by the author and yourself. Uh, check me out on social media and uh, my website at yourfoodlooksfunny.com will give you reference to everything from there. It's also the best place to listen to this podcast and I will catch you guys later. All right.